For God's holy word, let's look at Luke 11. Luke 11. And because God is holy and his word is holy, to give honor to the God who has given us his holy and infallible word, let's stand as we read Luke 11, starting at verse 37. This is God's holy word. Now when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him, and he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you pave tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them or unaware of it. Let's pray together. Thank you for this, your word, our glorious Father, and we pray that by means of your holy word and by your Holy Spirit, that you would work in us, that you would make us a spiritual sacrifice before you, that you would help us to worship, love, and serve you with every part of our being, with every part of our soul. For we ask all these things in the name of Christ our Lord, Amen. Please be seated. Each of us should ask this question. God, what do you want of me? What do you desire of me? Now, I know maybe you hear us say this sort of thing in this church, but except for the deeds of necessity and mercy, God wants you to be in his house. He wants you to worship him. He wants you to come and gather together with the saints in corporate worship on his holy day, his Lord's day. He doesn't want you to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some, according to Hebrews 10, 25. But not just that, God wants personal devotion. He wants you to pray to him and seek his face in good times to thank him. But he also wants you to pray to him in times of trouble, times of need, to be anxious for nothing, to seek him as the God who can and will help you if you seek him and you ask him in Christ's name. He wants you to give tithes and offerings. It's mentioned in today's text. But most of all, what God ultimately wants is what's inside of you. Earlier, as we read a portion concerning God's law, we read 
from Deuteronomy chapter 6, that God wants you to love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. God wants what's inside of you, your heart, your very soul. There's a cliche, uh, you probably heard this, God wants a relationship and not religion. Well, I don't know where that Bible verse is because it doesn't exist. It's actually a cliche, it's a saying. And um, by the way, when you read that word religion in the New Testament, it's also translated as worship. So let's, tr- let's, let's read it again, or say it again. God doesn't want your worship, he wants a relationship. What? God doesn't want worship? Well, actually, he, what he really does want is he wants you to worship him from your heart, from your soul, by means of a relationship we call covenant, the covenant of grace through Jesus our Lord. And we'll look a little bit more of that in today's text, but earlier in chapter 11, And verse 29 and following, the Lord Jesus was preaching because someone had asked for a sign. And he talks about giving the sign of Jonah. And that's predicting his glorious resurrection, wherein Jesus Christ would be raised from the dead after dying for sinners such as us. Jesus even said here, early in this chapter, that he was greater than both Solomon and Jonah could say that he is even greater than Abraham because Abraham looked forward to Christ's day and was glad. But he preaches out of a warning about not being in darkness. He says, watch out that the light in you is not darkness. He says that Christians, his believers, should be light bearers. We are light bearers because we reflect the light and glory of Christ in us. Um, As soon as he finished this preaching, we know that that there was a Pharisee among the crowd listening to him. Because it says in verse 37, as soon as he finished preaching or speaking, the Pharisee who's listening goes up to him and invites him for a lunch. Now, we don't know the motivation of this Pharisee. Was he trying to ask more about what Jesus was preaching because he was intrigued by the preaching? Maybe he was. Um, But was he seeking to find fault with Jesus? We find out later in this chapter, in verse 45, that it wasn't just a Pharisee there. He had lawyers there. Maybe he wanted some legal backup because he wanted to have a debate with Jesus concerning the Scriptures, especially concerning matters of the law. Verse 37 says that Jesus accepted the invitation, so he went and reclined at the table to eat with this Pharisee and with these lawyers. The ultimate thing we want to find in today's text is that God wants you to flee superficial religion. God wants you to flee superficial religion. We'll see this in two main points. The source of the disagreement. And secondly, Jesus rebukes superficial religion. So let's look at this first main point, the source of disagreement. Look at the end of verse 37 and following. He, that is Jesus, went in and reclined at the table. Verse 38, when the Pharisees saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. Now, 
in order to understand what's going on, we need to have a little bit more background. Um, and this, there's a reason why the Pharisee was very surprised at what was going on and why Jesus, instead of doing the, going through the ceremonies like the rest of them, just sat down to eat. Now, washing one's hands before a meal is good hygiene. It's good for your health. Maybe if someone's sick or has a cold or whatever, you don't catch it as well. But the reason Jesus didn't wash his hands wasn't because he didn't want to have good hygiene. The reason he didn't wash his hands is because he wasn't going to participate in something described by this key adjective in the text, ceremonially. He didn't want to participate in the ceremonial hand-washing, and we'll see why. These Jews took an everyday task, such as washing your hands before a meal, and added a religious command of a special ceremony. There was something you had to do before God that wasn't in the Scriptures. Jesus did not participate in this because the Pharisees wrongfully added religious ceremony to this hand-washing before meals. Now, to, to see that, that this was a tradition passed down by the elders, let's look at Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Keep your place in Luke. Look at verse 1 of Mark 7. <clears throat> the Pharisees... And some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the, tra the tradition of the elders. It wasn't just a tradition, it was a ceremony. Verse 4. And when they had come uh, from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing, that could be translated the baptizing, of cups and pitchers, copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? but eat their bread with impure hands. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God you hold, to the traditions of men. That's a pretty firm rebuke. And he's citing the words of Isaiah here when Jesus is pointing out that this was a vain practice, not only in the sight of Jesus, but in the sight of his Father. Because they were adding something to God's Word as a religious duty that God never commanded. Now, I don't... I don't know about you, but when you read the Old Testament ceremonial law, don't you think it's kind of weighty? Isn't there a lot to the ceremonial law in the Old Testament? Why in the world did they want to add to the ceremonial law? Didn't they have enough ceremonial law? But they had to add to it. And the answer to the reason this is, is that it's in man's sinful nature 
to want to add to what God says. And that's what they did. They added to what God had to say. Keep in mind, brothers, God is the lawgiver. We aren't. The Pharisees were not the lawgivers. God was the lawgiver. But they were acting as though they were the lawgiver and had the right to come up with commandments. We, this applies to us as well, each of us have no right to command what God has not commanded. And we have no right to forbid what God has not forbidden. God, again, is the lawgiver. We are not. Now, J. Gresham Machen, in a time when it was very unpopular for him to say this, voiced opposition against prohibition. Prohibition was that law that said that it was illegal in the United States to, to touch alcohol, to, to produce alcohol, to sell alcohol, to drink alcohol. And he did that because the scriptures actually condone the use of alcohol in moderation. So why does someone have the right to command or forbid what God doesn't forbid? And that's, that's why he was opposed to it. Uh, it happens in, in some evangelical circles today that it's even, um, in some places, it's still a matter of membership in some churches that you must have total abstinence if you're going to be a member of that particular evangelical church. That is something that they are adding to God's word that is not in God's word. It's, they're making an extra biblical requirement not present in the word of God. Now, back in Luke eleven thirty-eight, Jesus here notices the reaction of these Pharisees, or the, the Pharisee host that he has, when he reclines at the table to first eat without washing his hands. Now, according to the Greek, I believe Jesus noticed something in this man's expression. The Greek word here uh, can be translated marveled or was amazed. He was amazed. It's a little bit stronger than surprised. You can imagine his wide eyes, maybe even his mouth gaping. Or maybe he gave him that disapproving, strange look that some people like to do. So, well, Jesus even knows his thoughts and knows his heart, which Jesus does elsewhere because he's God. But this man had very likely an obvious look of astonishment. And that's why Jesus then begins to pronounce these woes. He says here, woe to you. Now, before we look at our next point, I want us to look at this interesting word for woe. It has a, a for, for such a short word, it has such a great depth of meaning. Uh, one source says that it means to state an intense hardship or distress, like coming disaster or coming horror. And when you combine it with someone, you're saying disaster and horror, maybe even in this context, eternal horror upon you. Woe. Woe to you. Devastation, horror unto you. Disaster unto you. And unless they repented, that's what was going to happen. Here we see Jesus next rebukes superficial religion our next main point jesus rebukes superficial religion verses 39 and 40 but the lord said to him now you pharisees 
clean the outside of the cup and of the pitcher, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? This is a strange illustration, but imagine, I have, I, we teach the kids to help wash dishes, but imagine you have a bunch of dirty dishes and your kids only wash the outside of the dish and they leave the inside with like some caked up funky stuff on the inside and they put it in the drain board. And the next time you eat, you, you got food left over from the last meal. That would be kind of crazy. Well, that's what they were doing. They were only washing the outside of the, of the cup and the vessel, but leaving the inside filthy in a figurative way is what Jesus is getting at. But in other words, he, Jesus was saying here that much of their religious life was for a show. It was outward. It was superficial for people to see, but it wasn't truly devoted to God. It looked good to others, but what was in their hearts was ultimately vile. He says that they were full of robbery and wickedness. Now, we're not going to go back there, but I, I want to mention some of the robbery involved. If, in that passage in, in Luke 7, I mean, I'm sorry, in that passage we looked at earlier in Mark 7, Jesus mentions this crazy loophole that these Pharisees used called Korban. So you have an elderly parent and they need to be cared for. But you say, I can't care for you. Whatever money I have, whatever resources I have to care for, my, for you, mom, to care for you, dad, it is korban. It has been a gift given to God. We gave a gift to the, to the temple or we gave a gift to the synagogue. Therefore, we don't have to have responsibility in caring for you because we gave it to God. What? what they really did was they just negated the fifth commandment to honor their mother and their father to care for their parents in their old age because they came up with some religious strange loophole concerning giving tithes and offerings among other things their wickedness of heart is shown that these pharisees desired and were even plotting for the death of jesus a man who did nothing else but speak what God the Father revealed unto him. That's all Jesus did. But they wanted to take his life. They wanted to kill him. They were plotting to kill him. Dr. C.R. Erdman wrote this. A Pharisee whose heart was foul with sinful thoughts wondered that Jesus sat down to eat without first washing his hands according to Jewish ritual. Jesus declared that to wash the body while the heart is impure is as absurd as to cleanse the outside of an unclean cup or platter. He declared that God who made the body created the soul also and that God is more concerned with the latter than the former. God is more concerned with your soul he is concerned about your body, but he is more concerned about your soul that lasts for eternity. Keep that in mind. God is concerned with what goes on within your heart and within your mind, within your soul. He's more concerned about that than what goes on on the outside. 
And God made you. It, he made, it says here, he made the inside also, didn't he? And he made your very soul. And brothers and sisters, God wants your heart and soul for himself. He wants your heart and soul from yourself. He doesn't merely want you to honor him with your lips. He wants your heart and soul near unto him. Verse 41 Jesus said, But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. So Jesus is saying here then, rather than being preoccupied with this baseless, useless show of false ceremony, which God never commanded, he would rather them to keep what is spoken of in Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Next, Jesus gave another rebuke, another woe against another false um, aspect of their religion, or we could say their religious neglect. Look at verse 42. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. There's some debate about the interpretation of this, but I think the plain reading of the text is that even though they were a little extra zealous about the way that they were tithing, even the minor things from their garden, their herbs and all, He's not condemning them being extra careful in that, but he's condemning them because they were disregarding the more weightier aspects of the law and of the word, namely justice and the love of God. In other words, they were straining to swallow a gnat. I mean, and when they, <laughs> they, this, this was a, a ridiculous practice. Was it really mattering to God that they were careful in their tithing when they were robbing from widows? Did it really matter to them that they were careful in tithing, yet they, they themselves were not obedient to keeping the fifth commandment, caring for their parents because they came up with some religious loophole? I think not. Did it matter that they were tithing, careful with tithing, when they were seeking to kill the eternal Lord of glory, the Messiah that God promised so long ago? I think not. The Pharisees were vehemently opposed, vehemently opposed to pagan idolatry. Yet Jesus points out next in this text that they themselves placed themselves as idols. It was self-idolatry that they were guilty of. Look at verse 43. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Think about this, especially in the synagogue. Synagogue is a place of worship. Whose glory should be in your heart and mind when you come to worship? Not your own. But that's what they were, they were more interested of their own glory, their own respect, their own honor, rather than the honor of the God they were supposed to be worshiping. God comes first. God's glory comes first. God's worship comes first. We are second. 
actually, maybe you should say it this way, God's first, others next, us last. Maybe that might be a better way to say it. But just as walking over, there was this tradition here that walking over an, a grave, if you walked over a, a grave, even though you didn't touch the dead body, you could become ceremonial unclean, ceremonially unclean. And the, the Pharisees and other Jews, they would wash these graves in white, make them nice and pure and white. So when you, would, when you were walking, you would see it, and you wouldn't walk over the grave and become ceremonially unclean. But in this particular text, Jesus is saying that these Pharisees are like an unmarked grave, an invisible grave that maybe you don't even notice it until you've already walked over it and you've made yourself defiled and unclean. And that's what these Pharisees did. Jesus warned elsewhere to be, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. By looking at them and learning from them and sitting under their teaching, they make others like them. They defile them with their hypocrisy and many other such woes. The source, again, of this disagreement in today's text was they were commanding a ceremonial law which God had not commanded. They were teaching something that was a, it was a doctrine, of, well, it was a teaching of man that they exalted the level of a doctrine of God, a holy doctrine of God. And that was offensive. And that's why Jesus didn't participate in this hand washing. It was a baseless man-made ceremony that these Jesus, that, that Jesus condemned here. And Jesus pronounced woes, warnings of eternal terror because of the evil and wickedness and hypocrisy of these Pharisees. They didn't have a true religion after all. Their religion was false. It wasn't one from the heart and the soul. Jesus rebuked their superficial religion. And brothers and sisters, he still rebukes superficial religion today. Again, the word religion is not a bad word. The word religion means worship. God wants true religion. He wants true, true worship from the heart. Not just from the lips, but from the heart. So we should each ask this question. What does God desire of me? He wants a relationship, yes. But that relationship can only be had through covenant, through Jesus Christ. You can only have a saving relationship through Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have to confess your sins. That you say, Lord, I am unworthy to come before you because I have sinned. But I plead the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, that through his blood and sacrifice that you would accept me. But also that his perfect obedience and perfect worship and keeping of the law would be accounted, reckoned as your own by faith. So God wants your religion. He wants your worship, but he also wants that relationship which can only be gotten through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, Scripture commands that you worship God from the heart, with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with everything you have. But brothers and sisters, none of us can do that perfectly. I can't. 
you can't. But our calling as Christians is to perpetually war against the world, the flesh, and the devil, that we would grow to love and serve and worship him more and more with everything we have and everything we are. Let's pray together. We confess, O oh Father, that we have sinned against you in so many ways. So often we have been more concerned about the external than what goes on truly within our hearts and minds and souls. Help us, we pray, O oh Father, to worship you from our very heart, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with everything that is within us. Help us, we pray, to flee that external show and help us to worship you aright and have a true saving relationship through Jesus Christ our Lord and that you would be pleased with us through his perfect work. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, let's look at 488. We'll turn to our hymn of dedication, 488. May the mind of Christ my Savior, 488.